0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Folly Coffee Podcast. If you haven't done so already, I ask that real quick here, you just pause, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. And if you've liked any of the previous episodes or this episode, please give us that five-star rating. It helps us greatly. Thank you and enjoy this episode. Hey, this is Rob. This is episode 79 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right. I'm here with Luke Durheim, creative visionary of Craft & Crew. So, Luke, list all the restaurants of Craft & Crew because I will always forget one and I always (laughs) feel really bad about it.
1: Yeah, we have have five different restaurants right now that we're open right now. We have Stanley's in Northeast Minneapolis. We have the Howe Daily Kitchen and Bar in South Minneapolis, Pub 819 in Downtown Hopkins, we have the block in St. Louis Park and we actually run a bar also in Hastings in downtown Hastings. And we're actually opening a new one in Minnetonka. So that one's gonna be called Dukes on Seven that just went under construction last week.
0: I don't know if there was any restaurant group that did more during COVID than Craft and Crew. And that was a big that's a big part of why I wanted to bring you in today because I'm just absolutely amazed that every time you turn there's a new something happening with craft and crew and uh but we had met prior pre-pandemic pre just about cold brew because you serve uh peace coffee as made by philterra you got it. uh and that's where we first met and when we first met it was like half the conversation was about the cold brew and getting set up as a vendor and then the other half just like ended up spiraling about like <laughs> wait what what book do you i remember we we're eating at hope because you came down yeah. to the brewery tasted some cold brew and we went up at hope it ended up being like an hour and a half long breakfast about like oh what, have you read this book no 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 yeah. have you read this book and uh you inter- in- introduced me to uh what what i can't remember the title but the morning book. miracle morning miracle morning yeah. and uh there was I didn't necessarily agree with everything in that book, but there's a lot about it that I took away. And, uh, the idea is like waking up at 5am and I've, yeah. I've literally said this on a recent episode that it's like those three, three, four hours before anyone expects you to respond to anything and you can get this morning routine done. It really does change how you can do business. And, uh, and so I was just like, I, that's the biggest thing I remember from our first meeting is it, it like rapidly expanded into discussion of all different areas of it. So I definitely wanted to have you on today. Yeah we'll talk COVID stuff, but I'm sure everybody's burned out on hearing how everybody's pivoted, <laughs> but it's been really cool what you've done there. But uh, so before you were creative visionary at craft and crew, I just want to go all the way back to your history of how you got started sure. in food and beverage. Was it always the restaurant game? How did you end up being a part of craft and crew in the first place?
1: Yeah, it's a really funny story actually. So back out of college, I went to college university in North Dakota and back when I graduated there, it was 2009. So it was right at the height of the recession. And, there wasn't a lot of stuff going on for, for a recent grad, so what did I do? I I bartended in college, really enjoyed the industry, and I was just looking for something to do as I came back down to the Twin Cities, and I looked online on, of all places, Craigslist. <laughs> and if you can believe it, my the re, how I got connected with Dave and Steve at Craft & Crew is through Craigslist. So I actually applied for a marketing internship with them way back when and now we're business partners and it from back 11 years ago um or actually now 12 years ago is when it all started and looking like back on that years, yeah
0: looking back on that like what was craft and crew at the time because yeah. i'm sure at the time it was very different than the group of restaurants yeah. it is now
1: so right so back when i joined it was uh we had one restaurant and we had one bar, actually two bars. So back in the day, it was the rail station bar. It was now what's called the How, and also in Hopkins we had Hopkins Tavern, and now which was now Pub Eight One Nine. And so back when I started, David and I were thinking about what different things could we do with the brands that we have currently, and what you know what might the future be. So back then, again, it was really only. It was the rail station, the only restaurant, and, and we started throwing things at the wall. And we made a ton of mistakes, and we did a ton of things that maybe now we look back and think, that was really stupid.
0: Yeah, so as you're, th- but, as you're throwing things at the wall, I yeah. kind of want to dive into that kind of phrase. Because- sure. In restaurants, it does seem so random sometimes. What becomes popular, what doesn't? So, as you're looking at the existing bars and restaurants you have, what kind of things are you throwing at the wall sure. as you're trying to look forward as in the direction that the business is going to go?
1: Yeah, we we really look like to 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 lead. You know, there's a lot of different restaurants we feel that are like to copy each other and do what's maybe what their neighbors are doing. But what's really fun with us is to see maybe throw something completely different at the wall that nobody's doing. And as you and I talked about the book blue, blue ocean strategy, yeah. you know, something that's like is so off the wall, but maybe we can, maybe we can work. And one thing that really, I think is a, is our brand to a T is our dog menu. That is something that we hone. We've almost served 50,000 dog meals since we launched this <laughs> about five years ago. And it's become such a part of our brand that all of our stores have a dog menu. And it, it, it's just a crazy idea that was, was fostered by one of our managers who came to us, and we we're like, we'll green light it. And and that's what I think is really fun is that we won't say no to a good idea, or if, if it's crazier the idea, the better. Well, I it's, mean, it,
0: yeah, it's funny to think about it now that allowing dogs, especially with millennials, is yes. like uh, – you're not going to allow me to bring my, (laughs) my fur baby into this building that serves food. How dare you? And so now it's become almost like an expectation, especially with like breweries being really popular and it being really popular there. But if you look back five, six years, I don't think that was the expectation that I could bring my animal. And so to think of something like that, that is ahead of the curve of, you know, this is my child. And how dare you not allow me to bring my child into this restaurant. And
1: not only that, they're going to pay, they're going to buy a three course meals for their dog. I mean, we literally, we can serve an appetizer, an entree, and we make our own pup cream for dessert. So it's, it's just different. Being an experience is what is is what we look for with the new idea that's going to differentiate. So like, for example, another fun th- thing that we threw at the wall, uh, you know, just over two months ago is our ice games. So went to the guys over at Minnesota Ice, talked to them about doing some crazy, fun, different things. And we put beer pong tables and we put, Beanbag games made out of ice in our in our parking lots, and within the first week, we had all four major TV networks pick up the games, and we sold out basically the full whole five weekends um, that we launched. And you know, we didn't really think anything of it, but there, at the time, there was nothing else to do, and there still is with COVID, not much to do. And people are just hungry for something fun and different. And if you, we feel like if we can offer something different, they can have fun they're going to come in and they're going to remember us. Whereas if you go to another restaurant, maybe you're just going to be there for a quick sandwich or something, but you don't really have that connection. You don't have something fun and different. That's going to be that hook to bring it back.
0: That's what was so cool about the ice games. When I saw it is visually, it was really cool looking, right? You have the pong table that's made out of pure ice. You've got the bag set that's made out of ice. So just to see it, Mm -hmm. you've got the, the Instagram side for people that just want to do something and take pictures and have a little fun. But, to me, it also was like, okay, outdoor dining is a requirement. Also, you can't do, well, you can now, but at the time it was like, you can't do any enclosures. And, you're, yeah. and so most people go, well, shit, we can't do outdoor dining. And you look at it and go, well, what would be fun to do outside when it's freezing? <laughs> and that was so cool. And you, like ice, ice bars have always been a thing uh, in Minnesota, but that's the first time I've ever seen that. And it's things like that that I go, these seem to pop up consistently with Crafted Crew. So I'm curious, as you go back to these three locations, what was, in your opinion, the first big move that you made yeah. when, you're at, when you, at the time, are two bars and one restaurant and you said that you're starting to throw things at the wall to want to move forward?
1: Sure. I'd say moving in, when we went into Northeast Minneapolis and took over Stashu's building and and turned it into Stanley's, it was an institution that people understood to be one thing. And so when we brought in something different, the neighborhood at first was a little apprehensive. And I think that's when, whenever we do a, a rebrand or a redesign, like for any property that we go into, we have to have a level of trust. They have to have a level of trust of us to really get to know us. And I think when we started we started doing crazy things with sampling and we started launching a food truck pretty much synonymous when we launched stanley's and so we started doing things that i think the vast majority of restaurants in northeast hadn't done and our level of service and just the craziness of things that we would do i mean we'd do you know 99 cent bloody marys and it wasn't just things that normally probably from a marketing standpoint you wouldn't do but just a lot of crazy things to get people in so looking back at the earlier days i mean we were at beer festivals nonstop. i mean back to beer dabbler we we would we would go serve there just to get our name out we we would just be a part of anything that we could just get our name out and it really paid dividends. I mean, we even did a beer festival. We did multiple beer beer and bacon festivals there um, where we shut down four city blocks and had 5,000 people there with 60 breweries. So, I mean, just a lot of crazy things that would really just drive the brand home and get people acclimated to what we were all about, which is a lot of fun and then making that connection.
0: Yeah, because it is very risky to, especially with restaurants and bars, too be what might be considered ahead of the curve because if it doesn't work, it's yeah. already such a risky business. But on the flip side, it's like, if you kind of do it already exists, you're just going to get lost in the mix that if yeah. you open a place that you could, you could think of 10 other places that it's yeah. exactly like, why would I ever come back to this one location? And then it just becomes purely about location. It which, is like the block is a perfect example of that. I, I don't want to skip to that, but so you open Stanley's. Yeah. How, how, what's the progression like from there?
1: Sure. So we, uh, you know, had Stanley's, things started going well. We did launch the food truck, had really good, had some success with that, started doing a ton of events, and then started looking toward the city of Hopkins. We had the Hopkins Tavern at the time. Um, David, uh, a partner, came and said, you know, maybe I think we should, it's time to really revamp this. this. The neighborhood's changing, you know, especially, and if you look at Downtown Hopkins now from where it was seven years ago, That's it's crazy. very different. So back when we ended up revamping that, uh, we came up with a concept really honing in on whiskey, which at the time we thought was going really going to be the next big spirit to blow up because at the time, craft beer was really the thing, which it still is now, but there really was an emphasis on whiskey or spirits back in the day um, when we started looking at the pub. So back in, uh, it would have been 2016, we started working on the pub, and it was a tr- complete transformation. And, and at the time, Hopkins was just – um, I would say one of the f- only first ring suburbs still that hadn't seen explosive growth, like some of the other ones, like St. Louis park at the time. And so when we went in there, um, we had clientele that were, you know, used to just the st- standard bar. And so it was quite a challenge to, um, uh, think differently, with, with some of the stuff there. Um, but we really saw that long-term, we thought Hopkins was a huge opportunity. And still to this day, so after we we uh, went ahead with it, we, we've we just been blown away by how awesome the community's been in Hopkins. And we really also thought when we opened up, we're not just going to draw from Hopkins. We're going to draw from Edina, from Eden Prairie, from Minnetonka, from all these other suburbs. So we think, I guess, when we're going into a neighborhood, we're not just thinking of that neighborhood. We're trying to see how far we can You know, really reach the swath of customers because um, we think there was something special there. And that's
0: where you really have to be doing something that no one's doing because the more similar it is to anyone else, then why go even 10 minutes away if there's a place kind of like that right down the road? Even if maybe the one 10 minutes away is a little better, but not for my convenience. And with Hopkins Tavern, was it in a position that you needed to change? Was it like, was it? Declining? Was it about to close or was this just a, a, a proactive decision to move yeah. forward and revamp? Because that can also be a big part of like the perception of why it's changing.
1: Yeah, I'd say it's definitely, it was more proactive. Um, the business was, you know, it's probably pretty stagnant to be honest with you. It wasn't growing exponentially by any means. And if you're just, we were just running the bar, there was really no food other than Heggy's pizzas and some fried food. So very vastly different than what it is today. So it was a business that wasn't going to exponentially grow with the times. And so we we thought it made more sense from an investment standpoint to to go ahead, really change the brand. And long term, I think we all thought it was it's it's been a good good thing to do. And it's we look back at it after we did what we did in Hopkins, it seemed like a flood of new businesses and a flood of new fun ideas and new people came to town. It's the whole chicken awesome. or the exactly. egg. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we put in garage doors within a year. There's two other garage doors on main street. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we think we're doing something right. And if we had a lot of positive feedback from the guests from the town and um, it, it just felt, it felt good because we had, we knew that the product we wanted to bring there um, ended up working.
0: So. Yeah, because if it isn't a proactive decision, it's it's funny how intuitive people can be about like changes. If it was struggling and it was kind of known that it's struggling and all of a sudden it rebrands, you're going, oh, this is like a desperate, you know, the the Hail Mary to try to get this space to work. But when yeah. you're like, man, that place was working and they're still changing it, it does put a little more pressure on the situation, but the perception is like, man, they must really be confident in this new thing. If they're yeah. if this thing isn't broken but they're still going to upgrade it, then much really be excited about this new concept. And I, I live about 10 minutes away from Pub 819 and I can tell you I've been there a few times and it's, it, it there's nothing like it within really, you know, unless you no. go to downtown Minneapolis to find a whiskey selection, which it's not going to be the space that you have there in Hopkins. There's a lot of things about it that are just way different than what anyone else is doing.
1: Yeah. And, and, and also, you know, it's really all about the people with us too. You know, we, we can have the whiskey, we can have the garage, we can have all this stuff inside, but really I think not only these fun experiences that we can bring from what we have inside the building, but it's really the people that we feel is is really make or break for the whole concept, you know, throughout the last year, especially through COVID. And we can talk about that more later, but it's just our people are just everything to us. And and they can make or break when you come in and have a whiskey or a burger. It's really everything to us.
0: And was the same idea behind the how, because it it was previously, what was it called?
1: It was called the rail station.
0: So previously rail station, similar idea, as you said, this isn't isn't broken, but there's a major opportunity here to upgrade our space. And that's a funny thing too, because a lot of people might say, well, let's go open a new space. You know, if we have a new concept, let's go open a new space. But then you're risking, does this location work? Does this location work? And an existing space, you know, the traffic, you know, the people that are in the area, you know, the area well. And so yeah. in a weird way, even though it still is a big risk to change a concept, it takes some of the variables out and yeah, but it's still like, it's still, it's so crazy to think that's like, that's working, but yeah. it could work better.
1: Ex- exactly. And I'd say for the, the house specifically, that was probably the hardest transformation we ever did. It was, if you knew the rail station, uh it was a place that was almost like a cheers bar it was it was a great neighborhood bar and it was everybody knew everybody and it was a great group of people it was something that we saw though coming up on the horizon the neighborhood was really changing and so what was good at the time we thought you know long term was probably not the right decision for for the restaurant so that was something that probably the first year was a lot it was very difficult because we had a lot of people that probably didn't want it to change and it was uh it was probably one of the tougher transitions we ever did but at the end of the day and now to this day we still are happy we did it but it was a huge learning experience of of having something that somebody loves so much and you taking it away from them uh it was an interesting Example.
0: That's the huge pro and con of a great neighborhood bar. If it's your neighborhood bar, it's the best thing in the world. You know everybody, but I think everybody's had this experience, and maybe it's a new neighborhood or a new city or you're just visiting, and you accidentally walk into the place, that's the neighborhood bar, and you just immediately feel so uncomfortable. And so as a neighborhood changes, anybody new that moves into the area goes to the neighborhood bar and is like, oh, I shouldn't be here. Everybody here knows. And I, I, that's a weird thing to yeah. think about. And that, that is what's really cool about the craft and crew restaurants is uh, sometimes people be like, oh, where, where's your cold burret? And I'll be like, oh, and then all the craft and crew restaurants are like, what's that? And you list them off and they go, that's the same group. <laughs> and that's the, that's the cool thing about it is yeah. each concept is so radically different, yeah. and yet there's kind of like central core themes behind each of them that ties them together that once you think about it, you go, oh, I could see how they're all, all the same group, yeah. but each one is just its entirely new concept, which is, again, ahead of the trends, especially in Minnesota, that I think a lot of people want to open a restaurant, then we're going to open our second location here, and then our third location here, and then each subsequent location you open is going to be less of a fit because, in theory, you're going to choose the best location for that versus what you're doing is, like, if you have a concept, you can find an entirely new area that it wouldn't work with something you already have. And that's what I felt about the block because yeah. I obviously feel very strongly about St. Louis Park because I live there. Yeah, And you've got this weird thing when I move there. Uh, you go, well, where do you want to meet up? And they're like, bunnies or uh, park tavern. <laughs> like, oh, you, oh yeah. Wait, those are the only two options. The only and two bars. Then they're yeah. both awesome, they right? Are like, great. they're both great neighborhood bars great and, like, too. great spots, awesome yeah. people there. But you go, th- Wait, how is that? You got the West End, obviously, but yeah. I don't really consider that St. Louis Park. That's it its own weird thing over yeah. there. And, like, the specific vibe for those bars over there, a, that's not my thing. And I go, This is so weird that there's such a big population of people. It's a growing area. There's a ton yeah. of young families. There's a ton of, like, yeah. you know, kind of first home bar purchases. I'm going, wait, why isn't there something here? That just always blew my mind. And uh, and then the block opened, and I was like, it's. I don't even know what the concept is. It's going to work because <laughs> now St. Louis Park has a third bar. Yeah. And that spot when you open it. So I'd love to hear that process yeah. because it's not necessarily easy to find. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, you do the roundabout thing, then you're going, and there's a construction right now, which doesn't yep. help, but it's not necessarily the easiest to find. So I'm very curious how you ended up choosing the location, how you dial in what the concept is going to be and what that entire process is like from scratch.
1: Sure. Yeah. That was probably, it, it was the longest process and the most interesting one. I, I'd say we started so about, God, it would have been, uh, probably back in 2018, in mean, August of 2018, um, my partner, David drove by, saw a four sales sign on it. And we were looking at properties at the time. We're looking for different places. We actually really wanted to open up another restaurant in Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And we actually ended up looking at the one right on Excelsior Boulevard. Um, it didn't, didn't end up working, but you know, we really Hopkins. We liked the area out West and David ended up seeing this and it was a vacuum store. So the, the place was called park vacuum. And so we called and talked to the guy and um, we thought the visibility is really good and that's something we always look for is a vi- three things visibility if, if it's in a neighborhood and is there a good mix of neighborhood people mm-hmm. that can walk and you know be support support the restaurant? And we go in there and, and first we walk around, we, you know we see the parkings kind of small. We, we we started looking around and we're like you know this is crazy but we think it could work and we could literally see this place somehow growing and we could expand the building this way and that way and and maybe it'd work um try to put an offer in on the building and it was we got outbid so they came back to us six months later said guess what deal fell through are you interested so we ended up going through almost a year of environmental work and really we're like this place is gonna we know that like you your point there's only two bars in St Louis Park we think this is a great opportunity we ended up having the it was almost an almost a two-year process to get it from start to scratch uh, from start to finish uh, to get it going and you know the, along the whole time we were opening this place we had a lot of people saying you guys are crazy for going off a off a area where you have to have like two roundabouts to get to it it's not easy to get to we don't think it's a good location i mean even our, i remember our back to our food rep saying are you sure you know maybe this is a good location for you guys <laughs> like, and so you know i guess the way we think about it too is if people are telling us maybe we're crazy or maybe we're on to something uh so we ended up opening and it quickly became our number one store um, just based on that the, there was such a need in St. Louis Park. There was such a need for something fun and different, offering a different menu. We did these surveys and focus groups before we opened up, and we saw so many people saying, we love Park Tavern, we love bunnies, but we're kind of looking for something different in our repertoire, too, that we can only find in Minneapolis. And so that's what we really listened to the neighborhood, and it was kind of off to the races after that.
0: And the first time I, I knew it was opening or, and uh, because I was familiar with Craft and Crew and live in St. Louis Park, then the first time I knew where it was was the sign is right off the highway. Yeah, And so you go, yeah, technically this location's a little tough to get to, but there's thousands of people passing every single day with that yeah. sign laying right over the hi- highway. So in a weird way, you don't have a ton of traffic of people driving by it at all. No. But you have a ton of people seeing that sign every day. Yeah. And then you've got the billboard up now. And I was like, okay, like <laughs> you got the billboard <laughs> game going right by where it is. And, uh, and my first experience at the block, I walked in and saw the menu. I was like, this is like every... And I I mean this in a great way. I was like, this is like every new trend on one menu. Yeah. And it was because you've got your Nashville fried chicken. And I was like, I love that. And then you've got like healthy bowls. And I go, I could invite anyone here. Yeah. I could invite absolutely anyone here and someone will be able to find something. And, you know, some people will be like, well, if you're trying to do everything and you're like, but do you know how hard it is to find, like, especially with a younger yeah. group of people to have a menu yeah. with the drink menu, the food menu. I've got a dog. You've got every part of it that you go. At the very least, I could invite anyone to this. And it's like such a fail-safe place to suggest to meet up.
1: And, you know, we hear that so often, and that's really what we strive for. We want to have anybody that walks in that door feel like they can order something. And so one of the big things about the block, and we opened it up, was – and the feedback we got from the neighborhood was – There is no vegan options. There's no vegetarian options. But we also, hey, we still want to have a burger. We still want to have whatever else that you guys have to offer. And there was just not a healthy mix of that kind of food offerings. And so we're like, well, this is a no-brainer. Why would we not offer both of them? We already know how to do this. And why not offer a little bit more? So it, it was something that really... Uh, took off when people realized they could come in with anybody and and they'd be happy whether they came in for breakfast on the weekends or for for dinner. So like you said, especially with your dog, why not?
0: Yeah. And so when it opened, I was like, that that, that conundrum to me since I've moved in, because I think I was there for about a year before the block opened. I'm like, this is so crazy. There's two <laughs> bars in this entire area. Like, I've always lived in an area where there's just always new bars or yeah. there's always places to go to. I'm like just like, there's two bars in St. Louis Park outside yeah. of the West End. And uh, it doesn't surprise me that it picked up quickly. Uh, because n- not even to mention that the menu, that everything's great. Like, the food Thanks. is awesome. Like yeah. And so I'm curious, on the food side, with not just the block, but all your restaurants, and then I kind of want to move on to – this COVID era, because yeah. what you've been doing is so cool, which is, those are two sentences that aren't normally next to each other, <laughs> but uh, with your food programs, yeah. who were you bringing in on the culinary side to be able to do such a diverse range of offerings across all your different restaurants? Because the downside of having that uh, way of doing business, of having each concept be different is now you've got different menus at every single place, yeah. different Recipes, different ingredient needs, different suppliers. How do you manage that the culinary program at all the different restaurants?
1: Yeah. Good question. It's, it's an ongoing uh, battle to be honest with you. It's, it, it's something that our team over the years has done a great job of when we throw ideas at the wall, a lot of times they figure out a way to, to, to execute it. And I'll give you an example of, you know, just back to like, even the, the Barossa chicken or the national hot, you know, doing that initially, we, we um, brought our culinary team to a couple different restaurants in town. And we said, we want, we don't want this. We want something like this, but, but better. Mm-hmm. And so within, you know, we threw brought them out within a week, they had a, a great solution and that's what we ended up launching at the how. And then what we brought to the, To the block, so there's a lot of things that we do do at one store that will translate to other locations, but there's a lot of things like you said, probably about thirty percent of our menu at each store is different at the minimum, if not like fifty percent, depending on the location. So we really, we really predicate ourselves on trying to change the menu twice a year to always look for new, fresh ideas, whether it's a poke bowl, you know three years ago, I'm in California looking at these and I'm like, poke is just blowing up here. Why don't we give it a try? And sure enough, it took off at our restaurants Um, or, you know, whatever's popular at the time, we just give our chefs the latitude to, to try to come up with it. And we have a really good food supplier and a really good relationship there that really helps us kind of execute whatever we're looking for at the time.
0: And so a lot of it's location by location. that There's different chefs at each location yep. that have some autonomy that say, hey, this is your space, as opposed to, like, hey, you have to do it the craft and crew style. That That's not necessarily a thing because everything's so yeah. different. Yeah.
1: It is, I'd say about six, 50 to 60% of our menu between all of our brands are the same. Yeah. So, and that's something when we when we find a dish that is a, such a home run, we will absolutely push it to the other stores. Um, you know, like one of our initial menus at the pub and still on all of our menus today is a brisket grilled cheese. We do a smoked brisket in-house and it sells like crazy and everybody loves it. So we have it on all of our menus. Um, you know, it's just, if there's something that really, really, really works we know and we'll test it at other locations. And generally, um, somebody that likes it at Stanley's is going to like it at the block, for example. Was
0: it ever a discussion that should we or shouldn't we do this at the risk of the different unique locations starting to become a little bit similar? Um,
1: You know, yes, we've had those conversations, but I think generally each location has its own flair. And I think that generally though if we have some really good winners most people will like it and obviously our customers are the ones that are going to tell if it's we right or not you know a lot of the things that we come up with it doesn't really matter if we like it it's a matter of the customers like it so if it's not selling we're going to take it off the menu and and i think that's something that's really important to know and what we really pride ourselves on is listening to our customers if our customers are telling us and wanting this item or they want to come out for the ice games for example like we're going to do whatever it takes to appease our customers so it I think we always kind of you know divert back to that question is is this what they want is it selling if they don't want it what can we offer them on this menu in this neighborhood that they're going to want so for example like at the how in south minneapolis we sell more vegan dishes than anywhere else and so typically we'll go down that path and our chef there really likes to In that sandbox, whereas you know, in Northeast, it's a little bit hardier food, it's a little bit heavier bar food, and so it kind of depends on the neighborhood, too. But then there is some things that translate to all of our brands,
0: and just listening to uh sales numbers is such an important thing because. Sometimes customer service is like the loudest people are not necessarily representing your entire customer no. base. So even if someone did complain about that, it's like, Hey, now I thought this was just a Stanley's thing. You go, well, you might care about this, but the numbers don't lie. Like yeah. people, people are eating it here. So why would we overthink? Should we duplicate this at the other restaurants? Exactly. If it works, like if,
1: if it's good, it's good. And if it sells, then it sells. Exactly. We can't just keep a dish on for one person, you know,
0: unfortunately, which You'd be surprised that the, that logic is yeah. pre- back to my Sam Adams days. I yeah. cannot tell you how many times you go into a bar and, you know, you're trying to get on tap and yeah. you go, you go, okay, so which ones are moving for you? Which ones aren't? And they're like, this one doesn't move at all. And you're like, oh, so would you consider changing it? Oh no. These two guys come in every yeah. week and they love this beer. Yeah. They'd be so upset if I lost I was like, so you're gonna keep something that doesn't sell because you've got okay. two guys, and I was like, "What if you didn't bottle?" And eh, they prefer draft. You go, "Do you think you'd lose those customers if you?" put... <laughs> yeah. So it's it's funny that sometimes uh the, just the most vocal people end up making the decisions for you when it's really it's like the numbers don't lie it, about that kind
1: of stuff. So true, and we have to listen to them. I mean, it just uh, you know to the numbers, it just you have to follow them, and and your customers are gonna tell you what 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 makes sense and what doesn't. So as
0: we go into 2020. Uh, you've got five locations. Yeah. And the announcements made, Hey, we're shut down for two weeks. What is the instant reaction to everything that's going on?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it'd been five months after we opened the block and, you know, at first when we heard the reaction, we just, we just didn't know a, like everybody was thinking, how long is this going to go on? What is You know, maybe this is gonna be a short thing. Um, we immediately took one day off. I'll never forget it. It was St. Patty's Day, and, uh, you know, we had just bought a keg of green beer. <laughs> and so we're sitting at the block with a, with a keg of green beer, and so we, we ended up pouring a, a green beer and, and, and having a beer that day and thinking, like, we're going to take one day off, and then we're going to hit the ground running. And we are not going to let the exterior circumstances dictate how this is going to go. And from that point on, that was our mentality. And whatever we needed to do to stay in business, stay relevant, stay fun, we did. And and I think our whole team looked for the leadership from us to say, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going. We're going to throw stuff at the wall. It might be crazy. Some things might not work. Some might. And that was really from the get-go, our mentality, where I think still to this day, if you ask our team how – you know, we did throughout the pandemic, it was all based on the mentality that we're going to figure it out and we're going to, we're going to have fun as much fun as you legally can have with, with under the, you know, horrible circumstances.
0: Well, that's, I think this is why we get along because that was my instant reaction is you go, okay, so everything's closed. So all the cafes and restaurants that serve our coffee are now not serving our coffee and you go, okay, well at the time, so 70% of the business disappears overnight. And And it was weird because my instant reaction was like, okay, but what, Opportunities, or what what good comes out of this. Because people are still going to be drinking coffee. And then also, I just had this gut feeling that most people are just going to say, two-week lockdown? Okay, let's just – we don't have to be around for two weeks, and then we'll just come back. And I go, so this is a weird opportunity when things suck to try to create something positive and do something cool when I was like, most people are not going to be thinking in that way. And so hopefully, just by providing something that's a positive during a time where everything sucked – people are going to be attracted to what you're doing. And so it's almost this unique opportunity to attract new customers from farther away than ever before because you're the only ones thinking in that way. So as you start to have that mentality that, hey, we're going to have some green beers, and I'm sure a lot of industry folks, green beer will bring a sick feeling to their stomach for years to come. You don't want it. But as you have that green beer and you're sitting there and taking this one day off, what's the mindset and what are are the ideas coming to the table as you approach the lockdown?
1: Yeah. Well, first off, we luckily had been doing online ordering for now about five years prior to COVID. So we were kind of set up from an operations standpoint to be able to execute the new model overnight, which was our only model at the time, which is going to be to go food. Um, so we knew that we did have a leg up right away, and our marketing team is something that is really special to us, and they really, when we have ideas or we push something out, they can really get garner some fun and different, uh, you know, just e- excitement online by whatever they do. So right away we started pushing out different food specials, different food items, special, uh, different items that were unique to, for the pandemic. And we just started thinking differently. And so what I mean by that is that, you know, within the first, uh, two months, I remember, um, it was probably about three months, three weeks into the pan, pan or shutdown. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, takeout business is going decent and we have a real, luckily things were, were okay at the time, but we were having problems with our brunch And brunch used to be a huge thing for us. Mm. And I was like, we need to do something completely different that nobody's doing. And maybe we can garner some of our brunch business back. And so one thing that we threw at the wall was creating a whole new concept called biscuits breakfast bar. And to your credit, you came in with some really good cold brew (laughs) and we got to make this whole new fun concept called biscuits breakfast bar. And, the first weekend we launched it, we didn't really know what what we were going to do. We didn't know anything if it was going to be successful. And, you know, I remember vividly one of the chefs at Stanley's goes, I'll be happy if we sell 20 biscuits today. That first weekend almost every single store sold out of Biscuits and we had to literally stop the online orders. It was so crazy. I remember that because I got <laughs> in on that first week <laughs> yeah. of ordering. And, and it's, to,
0: to your credit, it's, uh, it, it sounds like, because the way you just laid it out made it sound like, oh, let's do this thing. Hopefully people show up. But so much hard work went in ahead of it. Yeah, Building an entirely new Instagram page just for Biscuits. Yeah. Getting the press releases out there. Having the influencers come through yeah. and try Forget it. The, the, influencers yeah, yeah. the weekend before yeah. you officially announced, because that was the first time I yeah. I was able to try it. I was like, I'm definitely not an influencer, but I got the invite (laughs) because we're supplying the coffee. And uh, and so I came and tried it and everything was delicious. And, you know, I'm, I'm showing up I go, oh, this is literally every influencer because guess what? they have nothing to they do. They nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to yeah. do. And I'm like, this is brilliant. Yeah. And it made me think really differently because we eventually opened the tasting room. Yeah. And part of the discussion was like, do we want to do this? And I thought back to that moment, I go, no one's doing anything.
1: Nobody's doing it. You have to do something. And so yeah. to get
0: the attention of yeah. the media, of the influencer yeah. during a time when there's no positive stories out there, all that work front loaded onto an entirely new concept, yeah. utilizing the spaces you already had was so smart because it was that time where everybody's going, uh, get takeout because things are hard. And then you've almost got this weird sense of like, I'm buying this and I feel bad for the person. I'm, I feel pity while I'm trying to get some delicious brunch. And like, <laughs> it's, it's like this weird combination of feelings versus like, yeah. whoa, entirely new cool thing. I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. And so it, I'm shocked how fast things sold out. I wasn't surprised it worked, but what was that feeling like when you sold out? Because that, Brings its own set of troubles. That in yeah. your launch weekend, now you're, you've
1: got people that are like, "What the hell?" I wanted to try your new thing. Yeah, you know, it was it was it was a whole set of new problems. Like you said, we and to the to the time you came from the from the influencer event, we it was eight days from the concept we thought about it, told the team someone we actually launched it. It was eight days, and that was the first day we actually launched it. We realized that that right after it went out, we're like, Oh my God, we, we need to really pivot here because we're getting our, our ass handed to us here. And we need to figure out how to execute this better. So we had to completely change overnight. And by that next day the Sunday, we had to flip a switch and, you know, we worked all day Saturday to make it work, and we had a whole new set of problems of how busy it was, which was a great problem to <laughs> have,
0: as you said. But um, I'm sure, no it, one listening in the industry no. is like, "Oh my gosh, I must have been so hard during COVID for you." <laughs> exactly.
1: So, but it was, yeah, but it was fun and it was different, and there was just nothing positive at the time. There was nothing nobody doing anything, it, not many people doing something fun and different. And I think that's the first time we realized especially during COVID that people were so hungry for something different because mm-hmm. everybody was locked up in how in their house and that everything was so doom and gloom. And so we, we really wanted to think about what could we do that's different. And that led us to a lot of other things that we did after that. But that was like the catalyst from the start of this. Will, we're not going to turn back. We're going to do, keep doing things different. We're going to keep being who we are, which is really creative and fun and that really set us up for the rest of the pandemic and to, to today.
0: Because you, you did that, and then yeah. cookies and custard. Yeah,
1: we did cookies and custard as well.
0: Which, like, takeout window, genius. It's hot yeah. out, and every time I went there to grab food on the patio, there's always a line for that out the yeah. door, and I'm going. It's just constantly pushing new things during a time where, you know, even I think a lot of people, they go, hey, this biscuits thing is working. Let's ride this out until yeah. the end of whatever this is. But you, you can use that momentum and say, well, if this is working, can we do something else that's Absolutely. different and then capture that customer and cookies and custard is such a smart way to do that because you, now we're capturing the same customer with an additional purchase of, Hey, are you, have you thought about dessert yet? Yeah. And then, Hey, maybe you don't get it today, but the next time you're in the mood for ice cream, there's a new place in town. And I'm just going, every time I turn around, you've got a new thing going. I'm like, yeah. how the hell are they managing their time? And so that, that is a question I want to ask you right now is with five different restaurants, all completely different concepts, Mm -hmm. different customer bases, these brand new concepts you're pushing through COVID. How do you manage your time in, as you approach each day?
1: You know, we, we luckily use what's called EOS traction. I think we might've talked about Mm -hmm. this too. So we have a team that really runs on this. um, What's called EOS traction is this is the way we run our business. And so we really focus on EOS standing for entrepreneur operating system. Absolutely. So, That's something that really always keeps us focused on what's the most important thing. And so uh, as we plan our days, it's generally around what is going to move the needle, what is going to actually make a difference in our business, and that's kind of where we spend our time and energy on as opposed to letting kind of, you know, whatever's burning and on fire at the time. And so we have the ability then to think about future things that can really help, hopefully build the business. So I'd say, you know, generally, as we talked about, Miracle Morning, I try to wake up every single morning at five o'clock. I have two kids. And if I'm not up by five o'clock, I'm I'm pretty much screwed uh, to to start my day. So generally, that's the time of day thinking about, what is going on in the business? What can we do something different? And, and a lot of creativity really comes out from 5 to 7 in the morning, I'd say.
0: Because um, there's no possible fire drills that could happen at that time.
1: Generally not.
0: <laughs> Hopefully not. Not always, but yeah. yeah.
1: So that's like the kind of the time I always think to spend by myself thinking about what can we really do differently and what, what are we not doing today that maybe we should think about doing. And generally the best ideas, at least for me, come in the morning. Um, so I highly – that that's a huge part of my day. And, you know, especially then going into that, to work with our teams and, and kind of take ideas, give them to the team, and see where they can go with it. We just have such a great team of people that when we come up with something, they not only think it's a fun idea, but will take it and make it better and actually do something how they can execute it. Because a lot of times there's a great idea, but if you can't execute it, it, it's, it's pretty much worthless.
0: And one of my big takeaways from EOS and traction is everybody knows exactly what their role is and they know yeah. what they're responsible for. And so I could see how during a COVID time, if you don't have really rigid concrete roles and responsibilities yeah. in place, as things go crazy, it's yeah. everybody, I think it's almost human nature to be like, well, this isn't my fault. This is, this person's got to yeah. do it. Whereas with that EOS system in place, it's like, no, nope, this is your role. It's not yeah. my role, so sorry to say it, but you're dealing with this, I'm, and then another time something will come up, that's my role, and I have to deal with it, yeah. and so it, it, it almost is like a a way to take on things before they come up, because we know exactly yeah. who's responsible for what, and I, I've said that multiple times on here, that it's just me and Jeff at Folly, me and Brandon at Filterra, yeah. but we know exactly what each person's responsible for, yeah. and Those lines don't get blurred. And and then when something like COVID and it puts everything under a pressure cooker, it's a way to combat that, that every person knows exactly if something goes wrong, exactly who the person is that has to take care of that.
1: It's been, it's been the best, one of the best things we ever did as a company. And I think, you know, looking back, uh, I think we've been on EOS for five years. And honestly, I don't know how we'd run our business if it wasn't with that, because just to this day. It really guides us from what is important and what is our long-term vision and what we want to accomplish. And, and, you know, just looking back before the pandemic, we said we wanted to open up another restaurant in 2021. And we, we continued on the path. I mean, that was what was a part of what we talked about. And we kept looking. That was the so final. Was just, that was the final
0: straw for me when I yeah. saw that announcement in the paper that you're opening. I was like, "Come on, like yeah. what? How? Like what is it? How are they? How are they managing? How is this possible that yeah. they are launching two, three, four different concepts during COVID?" with success, by the way. Oh, and by the way, we've been working on a new concept. We just acquired a building and this will be opening in 21. Yeah. I like, this is ridiculous. And so yeah. it, it's interesting to hear that that's kind of what it allows you to do that. Yeah. That's often the really hard thing in business is how do you come up with big, you know, uh, long-term vision yeah. and the bigger picture while still taking care of the details. In 2020, by the way, the details are everything is crazy and yeah. nothing is normal. How has that process been of opening... Is it Duke's? Duke's on 7, yeah. Duke's on 7, the old Christos space in Minnetonka. Yep. How has that process been Sure. versus something like the block? So the the block is a scratch build out from a vacuum store, so thankfully this Christos was a restaurant, so you at least have a food space. But how has this process been with everything going on that you now have a brand-new concept you're opening?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the Christos space is a very interesting one. We... Um, Actually, even though it is a restaurant, it was a restaurant. We ended up we gutted the entire place, so there's really no infrastructure left of what was a restaurant. So it's might as well have been a vacuum. It might as well (laughs) have been a vacuum (laughs) store. So we, you know, we brought it down to the studs. uh, As of today, it's it's completely gutted, and next week they're really starting to build up the frame and, and and go on from there. But it, you know, it was. Another opportunity we saw that there's a neighborhood in Minnetonka that's somewhat similar to St. Louis Park in in a sense where there's not necessarily a lot of places like ours in a a niche. And there's nobody playing really in our sandbox, as, as we like to say, in that neighborhood. And so we look out there. The visibility is amazing. We have a lot of different people in the neighborhoods that would be able to probably patronize the brand. And we just feel like there's a lot of opportunities out there. And so when it came about to look at that building, um, we approached the owner actually, and he wasn't um, at the time, actually, it didn't even, wasn't even listed on the market. So back in the summer, we went to him and said, would you ever be considering selling? Um, Had our real estate agent go out and talk to him and and lo and behold, it it sounded like he was. So, um, you know, it started back in July and we just ended up closing on the building last week Um, So it was, you know, it was kind of a long process to to not as long as the block, but um, it was something that we just we really think that Minnetonka will be a great neighborhood. And and especially with with our brand, um, that it's just another potential community that's underserved.
0: And so where did you get the name? Yeah, what's the concept? Because these are the things I'm interested in. How did you determine the location? These are all things that craft and crew seems to be really, really good at. But I, I'm really interested in the inception. Like, sure. So, what's the first step? Do you have a concept, and then you go, "We need to find a location," or is it, "We have
1: found a location.
0: Now we need to th- we need to think of something that will work here."
1: So for this one, it was it was something that was we the property came about because we found out that it was available, and he would want to sell it, and we had talked about potentially duplicating one of our other brands. And we were thinking about maybe even duplicating the block for our next restaurant, depending upon where it was. And being that this property is only six minutes away from the block, we were like, there's no way we can physically put another block six mile six minutes away. It's just not going to work. So it then became, we're going to completely do a new concept. We're going to do something very different. It's going to be a huge patio. So, I mean, we just knew it was going to have to be something very different. And so, um, we then started thinking about the name and David my business partner and I, his name's David. I'm Luke. And so a lot of people internally call us Duke (laughs) (laughs) and typically him and I have some crazy ideas and people generally just call us Duke. And so that's kind of where the name came about. And Steve, um, is uh, Steve Benowitz is the owner, mm-hmm. and he's so he's the S and Dukes, so it's uh <laughs> that's kind of where the name came about. So um it the menu for this place is going to be probably about sixty percent of what we do at the block and, and our other locations, but this this store is is going to be a little bit different in how we structure the menu. Um, we're going to have a, a grill um, in the kitchen where we typically don't. So we're going to be doing some steaks. We're going to be doing some seafood that we don't typically do at our other locations and some higher end entrees based on the neighborhood. And, and again, we just started to do some market research and seeing if that's actually our thesis is right. And that's what the neighborhood wants. Um, and we just pushed out the literally this week, a survey to uh, trying to get as many people in Minnetonka to give us feedback. And we're giving everybody that takes a survey, a free beer when we open up to, so
0: I've taken a few surveys. <laughs> yeah. <from the> places.
1: <laughs> and it, it, you know, it, to that point like throughout the whole pandemic we kept sending surveys out and we're like what how do you feel you know this is after the during the first shutdown how do you feel like when we actually are able to reopen how are you going to be able to will you come in the restaurant what would you will you order from us will you do takeout would you only you know And so, like, the surveys to us are, again, going back to the customers, listening to them is just so critical. So that's why, like, right now when we're starting this process of what the menu is going to be for Dukes, we have an idea. But, again, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what we think. It matters what the customer thinks.
0: That's such a good point because, especially during all of this, I think a lot of assumptions are made about how people feel. Yeah. Well, we just assume no one would show up, or we just assume that everyone feels a certain way based on what we're hearing. But, again... Sometimes the most vocal people do not represent the majority, no. and so, so with something like that, this is, had become so political, and all these emotions, and everybody's pent up and angry, and there's so much emotion going on during yeah. all this. You start to make assumptions. Well, we can't even considering open because nobody thinks there's a safe way to do it. You yeah. go, well, what if we looked at the data and. It shows that we're doing it in a very safe way. Yeah. Would you be safe, uh, would you feel good coming back into a space if we're doing these guidelines? Yeah, and that's such an important thing as opposed to just assuming who your customer is or just talking to your regulars and going, okay, these represent yeah. all of our customers. These two guys having these beers every week that represents why we have this beer on tap. Yeah, you have to find out what the big picture is. How do we get people that normally would never leave a review, that would never give feedback? You go, well, what about a free beer? You go, exactly. Oh, that's, that's
1: a pretty good deal. Maybe I'll do it.
0: Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's funny because to, I'm kind of rambling on this point, but it's so important because this is actually something we're starting to do. Not like literally just had the conversation last week that I want to start doing surveys to figure yeah. out like, how is our coffee consumed at home? But a free beer in theory, you go, well, shoot, that's a five, six, $7, $8 spend. Potentially, if you're looking at it from the revenue standpoint that we're giving away for free. Well, okay. Well, technically that's not our costs. So yeah. it's really just our costs we're giving away. So now we're talking about not even, ha- you know, half that, whatever your beer margins are. And then you're going, what situation would we not spend $3 yeah. to learn a regular customer's feelings about what we're doing as a business? And by the way, they have to come in to redeem exactly. this.
1: What person's going to come into the block yeah. have one beer and be like, thank you. See ya. Yeah. It just Exactly, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, you, we'd we'd almost be in a worse position not to do that, you know, because to to give that money away, it, it, you're just. It, and if you think about traditional advertising, we don't do a ton of traditional advertising than the billboard you referred to, but typically we like to figure out and our customers and listen to them and listen and not only listen to them but reward them with our loyalty program and other things that we do. Um, so you yeah, know, it's, it's hard
0: to go to a craft and crew restaurant and not walk out with a loyalty. I, I am usually <laughs> yeah. the one to be, like, no, yeah. no, thank you. Yeah. Not interested. And the bartender at the time was like, honestly, dude, you'd be stupid not to get yeah. this. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. do you think you'll ever come back here someday? I was like, yeah. He's like, you have to have one. That's hilarious.
1: But yeah, no, it's important. So um, again, it's it's listening to our customers. And, you know, another thing that was fun thing we did not, well, during COVID, and we're, I'd say we're really proud of another story. Of another idea is um, healthcare meals. I, I could talk about is that starting in the pandemic back in April, um, we had a group that came to us and said, would you deliver meals to a hospital? And we're like, absolutely, we'll deliver meals to a hospital. Um, and it ended up sparking a light bulb in us, and we're like, we're going to do this again. And when there was so much you know, negativity and so much unknown and so many scary things going on with COVID – we're like, what What better way could we help out than to, to bring meals to healthcare workers? And we ended up starting it in, back in April. Um, we delivered back in April probably about 300 meals. And the, I remember, ne- never forget the first time we delivered it, I'm like, we're going to do this. We're going to do 10,000 meals. And within seven months, we did 10,000 meals, and now we're up to 14,000 delivered meals to healthcare workers on the front lines. And it's like one of the funnest things that we ever did. And we actually on all of our online ordering menus, we literally have a button that customers can buy the meals and we deliver them and make them. And it's been like one of the funnest things and most rewarding things we've done during COVID.
0: It's it's that mindset of it's so easy when things are really hard to start to like panic or to kind of back start to backstep and start to try to like go into survival mode versus like, well, what can we do during this time to increase the positive effect we're having on the community? And that's probably another part of EOS that allows you to have everything compartmentalized by role and responsibility that allows you to still look at those opportunities and know, can we do it definitively or not?
1: Yeah, It, it was very fun. So that I'm, was one of the very. I'm I'm
0: curious, yeah. and I'll kind of wrap up on on, yeah. on this thought. But knowing how you all operate, already done it twice. We've talked about of taking a concept that exists mm-hmm. and revamping it. How do you determine when the time is right? Because that's something I think a lot of people struggle, even if they the concept stays the same, but just redoing things. There's sure. like this feeling when you walk into a bar that you're like this feel like they, they could use an update. Is yeah. that something that you feel like you have a actively ticking clock in your head the second you start <laughs> a new concept, or is it something that it's the external influences determining that, hey, things are changing around us. Now we need to consider a change.
1: Yeah. I'd say it's a mixture. You know, I think going back to what we talked about earlier about the numbers, I think is, is something very critical. If the business is not growing year over year, I think that's very scary for what the what the business model looks like for the future so so for all of our stores if we don't see growth um that's we expect growth at every single one of our stores year over year no matter what um and so that is really one indicator for us is if if we're going the opposite way or if it's stagnant something has to change and so that's something we track every single week by looking at our numbers year over year is, We have to be trending upwards or else what is going on? There's probably something wrong because not only the business in our opinion have to go up just because it's a growing business, but costs go up every single year from from labor to food to drinks that we buy. So it's it's critically important that the business is is continually growing. So I'd say – Number one, it has to be growing. And number two, the external factors in the neighborhood might not make you switch the entire concept, but it maybe thinks differently about what you're offering. And so i give you an example of, you know, up in Northeast, Stanley's has been there now for over 10 years and it's pretty well established business. However, we are thinking about what now can we do that nobody else in that neighborhood is doing that's different. And no, and nobody's doing. And one thing we're going to be doing, we're going to remodel the kitchen there in the next uh, month and a half, and we're going to be putting brosted fried fried chicken in there because there's no fried chicken in Northeast Minneapolis. And so it's that kind of thinking that we're like, what else can we do to add to this kick-ass brand of Stanley's that has a following that people love, and we have a great, you know, group of people that work there and that people love. But what else can we do to push the envelope? Just because it's working. What else can we do? And, you know, I think that's what it makes the difference between good operators and great operators is that if it's good, you, you got to keep pushing yourself to figure out new ways and different things to do as opposed to being complacent.
0: Have you, so, have you read the book Good to Great? No, but I've heard about uh, it. You need to read that one. Yeah. So it's a really fantastic book. And it's, it's funny because literally the terms you just used, there's like it separates good operators from great operators. That's the, that's the theme of the entire book. So th- this book, Good to Great, basically looks at businesses that are good businesses and yeah. they create really strict terms of what good means and what great means. And they look at businesses over, that over time were a good business, but then just made a huge leap and bound yeah. and had exponential growth over time. And the big takeaway is that that's exactly right is not just saying, Hey, we're good. Let's rest on our laurels and yeah. just continue to do this. But what is it that makes us great? And so the, oh, the, the key example is uh, Walgreens. And Walgreens, what they do is their number one thing they're best at is being the most convenient pharmacy. And so they went from being a good business with every all their places had delis and a bunch of different stuff. New person takes over. It says, no, our only thing is we're the most convenient pharmacy. They cut away everything that has to do with that. And the most famous example from the book is that they will take down a profitable Walgreens and build a new one to cost a million dollars roughly to build a new Walgreens. And they'll move one, two blocks over if it's more convenient to get to that location.
1: believe I see it all the time. Yeah. And you so like, it, that's the mentality
0: yeah. kind of ah. of what you're doing is that you go, yeah, just because things are good, you know, year over year, we're stagnant. That's not inherently bad, yeah. but that's especially in the restaurant industry. Those are like the signs ahead. It's, it's like, you know, like, oh yeah, I feel the storm coming in my knees. It's like yeah. something <laughs> like that where you're like, it's not necessarily bad right now, yeah. but I could tell you something's coming because when you're forward thinking, If you have success, other people are going to look at what you're doing and go, "We need to start doing that." And then you just will slowly start to lose customers to the other people starting to catch up to what you're doing. And so that's something I think about a lot. We're three years into it, and I'm going, "Okay, like what else can you do? What else can we do, or what needs to change, or what could we do to make the?" And so that's uh, the online side is what we focus on a lot with that. But that's huge. That's I think what Craft and Crew does really well is. The additions to menus, curating the menus, yeah. having new events that are different. And uh, that's why I was really pumped to have you in today. And Good to Great a book you absolutely have to read. It's awesome. It. I'm definitely
1: going to have to read it. And I figured yeah, I what, so. what so better so.
0: way to finish an episode of basically how we started it is yeah. that, like, that's what we bonded
1: over at yeah. first. But I think we had the, probably the last breakfast before COVID shut down, too. <laughs> it
0: was pretty dang close, yeah. yeah. Um, it's crazy to think that that was so long ago right? because it feels like we kind of just met and yeah. we've known each other for like over a year now, <laughs> which is pretty wild. Yeah. But I'm excited to see what happens with Dukes. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure if it's like any other, other, other uh, any of your other concepts that it's going to be very successful. Nice. And congratulations on the success this year. And then Thanks. I am curious uh, as just – I know I already said it, I had my last thought. But I think a lot of people have – come up with new ideas during COVID. Yeah, I think you're the extreme example, like brand new concepts. What do you do with that when things get back to any form of normal as we uh, approach the summer, as, you know, vaccinations are uh, more widespread and that yeah. this thing is under control. What do you do with those things that you have put in place during COVID? Yeah.
1: I, you know, we see everything that we did during COVID as a huge asset and a huge all the hard work we did to really catapult us for into the future. And what I mean by that is all of the people that were, we really targeted to take, to take out food from with us or for biscuits, breakfast bar or ice games or our healthcare meals or anything that people were involved in our brands during the last 11 months of the the pandemic. Those people are not going to forget how we tried, how we made them feel. And that is what our goal is. And if we can be in their mind for a place that they consider for the future, that's we we've won. And I think with the database of people that we've got into our brand over the last 11 months that weren't a part of our knew about us before, I think that's how we leverage to grow for the future, because now with our marketing we're able to push things out and we have a wider reach of all these people just like for example when you talk about biscuits breakfast bar had a couple thousand people following on instagram within a matter of weeks and so that's a whole new swath of audience that we never had before and so we see it as a huge opportunity that all of these hard things that we did during the last 11 months is really going to hopefully transition into a lot of growth for us over the next five years and and i think a lot of restaurants, unfortunately didn't pivot or they just things didn't happen as, as we, they maybe weren't set up for online ordering or weren't ready to kind of pivot. And I think the ones that were, are going to really benefit long-term and really see, um, in, you know, once people are getting vaccine back out, they're going to go to those businesses that were fun and different and creative. coming out with brand new things during the pandemic, I
0: think. And so it's the combination of effective processes with the EOS traction in place, always trying to be forward thinking while actively listening to your existing and new customers while also trying to attract new customers with new things you're doing. And that's... That's a pretty lethal combination when you're talking about growth, because yeah. it's kind of like if you can have all of those things in place, it's kind of hard to not do something that your customers are going to like and want yeah. to come back to. So really exciting to see that. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, like I already kind of said, as a, this is my third final thought. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, yeah. uh, but to see Dukes yeah. uh, pop up is going to be really exciting and uh, turn twenty one uh, into hopefully a fun year as opposed yeah. to just like riding a shitstorm out of the out of twenty twenty <laughs> into twenty twenty one.
1: Absolutely. It, it, and one other thing. Too you always ended on this is that you know we have a culture of having fun and and doing different things and i think this is so telling of how where we're at right now is that when we announced to our team because we had we we didn't tell our team about dukes until about i don't know eight weeks ago um because we were working on we didn't really know if it was going to go through and and whatnot and when we ended up telling them they're like we're not surprised and i think that is the culture that I think that is why we've been able to pivot and roll with it is because we have such great people that are already are and down for, to do whatever and, and roll with the punches and have a lot of fun th-
0: with it. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I will end this like I end every other episode and say, have a nice, nice,